If God has put it in your heart this morning to see his son, then I invite you to reach right now for your Bible or to take one from the rack nearby and turn to the book of Revelation and attend to his word. Revelation is the last book in the Bible. Turn to the first chapter of that book, and I'll read verses 4 through 8 as you follow along. Revelation 4.1 John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, and everyone who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. The time between Thanksgiving and Christmas is the happiest of times and the saddest of times. It's the happiest of times because... Everybody knows why it's the happiest of times. It's, it's warm, and there's a lot of togetherness, and there's expectancy and memories of childhood and all kinds of cozy feelings that come when the music starts, like chestnuts roasting on an open fire. You start to feel different feelings that you've felt so many years, and everybody knows why. It's a happy time. And it's the saddest of times because if you're lonely, it's the loneliest time of the year. And if you've got pain in your body, it's the most painful time of the year. If a relationship's not working, it's the most agonizing time of the year. If you just lost your wife or just lost your husband or your dad or your mom, Christmas is the most poignant day of the year. And you wonder what it would have been like. Or if your son's getting married on December 30th and you had planned that you'd take a break in chemotherapy. And then you come to a season like this and you enter it this year with the upheaval of the world. You add that on. And if you're already a little bit emotionally fragile and vulnerable, And you read headline after headline or hear news report after news report of bloodshed and of governments crumbling and governments rising. If you're already vulnerable, the insecurity and instability and unsteadiness can really make a knot in your stomach day in and day out. And these are days like that. Poland, of course, seems to have settled down and They have a new government. The Soviet Union, with Gorbachev's leadership, now has unparalleled openness and change, at least for now. 
Eastern Germany and Czechoslovakia now in just recent days have brought down old governments and are ready to put in new ones. And as I turn on the radio this morning, Bulgaria and Hungary are ready to move and you can't even keep up with the unprecedented political changes. These seem like wonderful days and wonderful events, but nobody knows where the political alliances and the economic partnerships are going to take us in Europe in the days to come. And meanwhile, outside of Europe, the rest of the world is just reeling with one blow after the other, with dozens of people being slaughtered in India during the crisis elections. And next door in Sri Lanka, the Sinhalese and the Tamil hacking each other to death day in and day out to keep that little country in turmoil. And in the Philippines, communist bands, especially in the south in Mindanao, keep constant tension as to what will become and Corio Kino will not run after this term and nobody knows well, what, what will happen after that. And the civil wars in Nicaragua and El Salvador and Lebanon and Ethiopia wreck those countries and cause the people there to be distressed. And the racial strife in South Africa and Israel and the economic chaos in Argentina with hundreds of percent of inflation and the reversals in China and the drug cartels just bringing Medellin down to its knees in Colombia and on and on. It's just like, you know, if you want to keep up with world events, you just feel clobbered day in and day out with the reeling of the nations. Nobody knows what will happen in all of these cases, in all of these areas. And as I've been watching things with stunned amazement, you see, those of us who were born like I was the year after World War II ended have never seen anything like this before, at least not within our memory. I mean, there were political shakeups at the end of the 40s as things got realigned, but never have I seen the likes of what's happening today. And therefore, I've been thinking a lot, and just like when the earthquake came, I felt I'm, I just must say something. Finally, I gave in to what I believe is the Spirit's leading, and, and I want to say something about the upheavals, the political upheavals of our day in relationship to the Lord Jesus. And my sense is, in view of the kind of emotional stresses that holidays bring, the word that we all need is a word of, of stability, of uh, steadiness and uh, encouragement and hopefulness so that the roots go down deep and the pillars are strong and your hand is fixed on the plow and you're not vulnerable to being easily knocked over by any news on the home front or on the national or international front. And as I prayed and asked the Lord, now where in the scriptures might I go to find such a word of encouragement? I believe he led me to Revelation because when I think about Revelation, I think primarily of the reign of Christ over the nations. And that's what we see here. And I want to read it for you. My goals in reading the text and in bringing this message are, as I said, first, just to deepen your faith in the reign of Christ and your security and your stability in him in a world of uncertainty and then my second prayer is that the experience of the living Christ by faith would be so satisfying that during this holiday season, you wouldn't even feel the desire for alcohol 
or for materialistic indulgence. You just wouldn't be hooked by the hookers. And you wouldn't feel any desire for mindless hours in front of the television. There may be one or two programs that would be worth watching this season. But I hope you don't throw away your years in view of death and hell and heaven and love and the gospel and the needs of people watching television. That would be a nice spin-off from this message. That's the last thing I'm going to say about television today. The text is verses 4 and 5. Grace to you. I'm starting in the middle of the verse there. You see it? Grace to you and peace from Him who is and who was and who is to come. That's God the Father. And from the seven spirits who are before the throne. I believe that's a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And if we had time, I'd love to unfold the use of that phrase, the seven spirits, is found in 3, 1, 4, 5, and 5, 6 in this book. And I believe it relates back to Isaiah 11, 2, and Zechariah 4, 1 to 10. And if we had the time, I could try to make a case for why I think that's a symbolic view of the perfection and fullness of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, what we have here is a Trinitarian blessing from the Father, He who is and who is to come, He who is and was and is to come, the Spirit, the seven spirits who are before the throne, and from Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of earth. Now, that's the phrase I want us to focus on. Jesus is the ruler of kings on earth. You know, in in the phrase from the Messiah, which wonderfully providentially was playing. And I came down. Noel was in the kitchen. And I came down. And the first thing I heard as I came down the steps this morning was, King of Kings. You know that song? Oh, Noel, that's perfect. Did you plan that? Because right here in Revelation 17, 14, and 19, 16, that phrase, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, is a restatement of this text. He is ruler of the kings of the earth. Now, when you hear the Messiah... And you hear that strain, king of kings. Do you hear it right? That means he's the king over kings. And all the kings on the earth are his subjects and he's the king of kings. Or he's the Lord over all lords on the earth. That's the meaning of that phrase. And that's the phrase that we want to talk about this morning. What I want to make plain, have ringing in your ears as you watch all the news... And as you read the newspaper, as you watch the television reports, I want you to see the hand of God written in Eastern Europe, the hand of God written in the Middle East, the hand of God everywhere in the world today. God reigns over kings. So if you want to change the wording, Jesus Christ is the ruler of kings, presidents, chiefs, premiers, governors, and prime ministers. Those are the ones I could think of. There are probably some other names that we could use for those who are leaders today. Jesus is the Lord of all of those leaders today. And the big question is, what does that mean? If if Bush, President George Bush, were to say, which I hope he wouldn't, to Jesus, um, how can you be ruler over me? 
I was elected to the president of the United States of America by uh, the election of the people of this sovereign state and was duly and constitutionally installed into my office by an official inauguration. Jesus would simply respond to Mr. Bush, I was elected to my office by God. And I was duly installed by the resurrection from the dead and by an indestructible life and an installation at God's right hand, Mr. Bush. You are my subject. I'm your king. That'd be the simple answer that God would give to all the kings on the earth who lifted themselves up in presumption as though they were anybody before the king, Jesus Now, the question I have as I take this phrase, Jesus is the ruler of the kings on earth, is what does it mean practically? And I have five answers that I have seen in Scripture, and I want to share them with you. This is a breathtaking thought. Oh, I just hope that you can somehow break out of the clothing of secularism that is constantly being laid on you day in and day out in our world. The clothing of secularism, just take it off and be free to see the breathtaking truth that Christ is on the television screen in every newscast. That Christ is behind every headline. Now, I want to try to unfold that for you so that when you leave here today, you will watch the TV differently. You will read the newspapers differently. Five meanings for the reign of Christ over the kings of the earth. Number one. The reign of Christ today means that he controls who becomes king and who is brought down from being king. Daniel chapter 2 verse 21 says, God changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. Matthew 28:18, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Take those two texts and put them together. God removes kings and sets up kings. All authority, including that authority, has been given to me. Therefore, Jesus brought down the government of Czechoslovakia. And Jesus brought down the government of Eastern Europe. And yes, Jesus established again the government in China. Now, that one's harder to accept, but I'll come back to that at the end and talk about what the Chinese Christians are saying in these tragic days from one standpoint. This does not mean that every king does God's will. It doesn't mean they're obedient to the word of the Lord. It doesn't mean that They are pleasing to the Lord in every sense. You know, don't you, that God ordains many things that he does not delight in. Can you fit that into your theology? God ordains many things in which he does not fully delight. That's on the face of Scripture again and again and again. What it does mean when he ordains a Hitler... Or a Deng Xiaoping, 
is that he rules over their sin and their folly and their wickedness and figures it into a wise and loving and good plan for history. And we just have to step back many times again and again and say, oh, the depth of the wisdom and the riches and the knowledge of God who has known his ways. How inscrutable are his judgments and unsearchable his paths. The Lord reigns as the king over the kings of the earth. Second, not only does he determine who falls and who rises, he regulates... The reign of Christ over the rulers means that he regulates what the kings of the earth do. Sometimes holding them back from sin and sometimes ordering international events to accomplish his purposes for his people. Let me illustrate those two things from scripture. The first comes from a story in the Old Testament in Genesis 20. You don't need to look it up. You'll recognize the story. You can read it later if you want. In Genesis 20, Abraham, with his beautiful, beautiful wife Sarah, goes down south to Gerar. And Abimelech is the king, and Abraham is scared that this beautiful woman is going to be so attractive to the king, he'll kill Abraham and take her into his harem. So he says, let's tell him you're my sister. And they do that, and he takes her and doesn't kill Abraham. God comes to him, Abimelech, in a dream and says, I'm going to kill you if you touch that woman. And he responds, I took her in the integrity of my heart. He said she was his sister. I didn't know. And God responds like this. I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now, what does that mean? That means God restrains many of the sins of godless kings. God has the right and the authority to put restraints upon kings who know him not at all. Why have there been no bloody reprisals in Czechoslovakia and Eastern Europe? One answer, Christ Christ has the authority of God, all authority in heaven, and God uses his authority often to restrain the wickedness of evil kings and presidents. Why didn't George Bush give in to the pressure on this pro-abortion funding in Washington? Christ restrained that evil. In answer to many prayers, gave him courage to stand. And may he continue to do so. The second example is that God orders international events for his purposes. For example, um, Micah in the Old Testament prophesied that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, God, in his perplexing, sovereign, inscrutable wisdom, picks a maid in Nazareth to bear this baby in Bethlehem. And then what does God do? God 
superintends Rome and all the governmental enterprise in the mind of Caesar Augustus to make a decree that all the world should be taxed to get Mary from Nazareth to Bethlehem in the ninth month. Now, when I see things like that, I have no doubt who's at work in Eastern Europe, who's at work in the Middle East, who's at work in China. God orchestrates the events of history and the rulers of the world to bring about his sovereign saving purposes. A little virgin girl to get her from one city to the next. He moved an empire. Do you think God is at work for you today? You, little you, he is. I'll come back to that in the fifth point at the end. Number three, so number one was he sets up and takes down the kings. And number two was he regulates what they do, restraining sometimes from evil, sometimes permitting evil, and orchestrating the events of rulers so that he accomplishes his purposes. Number three. The reign of Christ today over the rulers of the world means that he has authority to claim citizens for his own kingdom from all the kingdoms of the world, whether they like it or not. Notice the logic now between Matthew 28:18 and Matthew 28:19. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, Jesus says. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. See the connection? Since I have all authority, I'm really the king over the king of every nation. Therefore, I can appoint my missionaries, my emissaries, my ambassadors to go straight into those nations and lay claim to citizens for my kingdom, whether this king likes it or not, because they are mine. You know, I get so frustrated with uh, people today who are more dependent on statistics than they are on the sovereignty of God. As they look to the end of the decade, they say, to the end of the next decade, they say, well, by the end of the uh, 90s, uh, 80% of the unreached peoples of the world will be in nations closed to the gospel in regimes that are hostile. I just want to pull my hair out and say, how do you know that? How anybody could say such a thing with any level of confidence after the last six weeks is beyond comprehension. Why could not God do the absolutely and utterly unexpectable in the next ten years that he did in the last six weeks? Who would have dreamed a year ago that they would all be coming down. That one person on the radio said yesterday it took 10 years to bring down Poland, 10 months to bring down Germany, and 10 weeks to bring down Czechoslovakia. I might be getting it wrong, but you get the idea. Just the speed with which things are happening is absolutely beyond anybody's expectation. Therefore... How anybody can say what's going to be the case at the end of the next ten years is crazy. No, it can't be done. And could not God do the same thing among Muslim regimes that he's done, among 
among the uh, communist regimes? And you say, well, not really, because, you know, that's religious and it's more entrenched. And who are you? (laughs) I mean, nobody would have predicted. And yes, we can't imagine how, but why not pray in that direction? Why not say that the way the Great Commission will be done is by the next ten years, he's going to blast every door open? Why not pray in that direction? If he wants to use tent maker missionaries inside, legally, in inhospitable regimes, so be it. I'm not going to complain. But if he wants to blow the doors off of every Muslim government and make a way for Christian missionaries to plant the church, so be it. God can do it, can he not? So the third meaning is that the Lord has his emissaries, his missionaries, many from this church. We haven't begun to taste how many missionaries are going to come forth from this church. The next decade is the, is the decade of reaping missionaries from this church and just sending and sending people to the corners of the world, the farthest corners, because God is the king over all the kings. And he has emissaries and ambassadors to reclaim citizens from those kingdoms. And whether they are hospitable or sympathetic or not, those people are gods. I was just reading this morning in uh, Psalm 22 and took it as a, an encouraging word. Let me see if I can remember it. Psalm 22, 27 says, um, All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will worship before him. Number four. The reign of Christ over the kings of the earth today means that he will triumph and bring all his saving purposes to victory. Christ's reign means triumph. Let me just quote a few verses where it says that. 1 Corinthians 15:25, Christ must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. You see, there's no doubt that he'll do it. He must reign. He is reigning. He must reign until all the enemies are put under his feet. And the last enemy to be put down is death. Matthew 16:18, the gates of Hades shall not prevail against my church. Revelation 17, 14, the kings of the earth are arrayed in battle against the Lamb here. And it says, they will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them. For he is Lord of lords and King of kings. You see the logic? If you are Lord of lords and the lords rebel, you win. Now, let me try to explain that a little further so you can see the certainty of it. What is the most powerful weapon that the lords of the earth have to maintain subjection? What can an earthly king do in order to win? His most powerful weapon, what is it? I think the answer is death. He can kill you. That's all. If that doesn't work, he's done for. And it won't work on Jesus. Because the text says he is the firstborn from the dead. He has an indestructible life. All of the weapons and all the means, the last and ultimate weapon, won't work on the Lord. And therefore, when it says he's Lord of lords, that means he's a triumphant Lord. He cannot be defeated. 
And if you're in here today, if you are here today and not a subject of the Lord of Lords and only a subject of one of the sub-lords and rebelling against the Lord of Lords, not walking in His will or trusting His provision, do you realize you're going to be defeated? You cannot win. He is risen. He can no longer be killed. And if He can't be killed, He can't be defeated. One non-killable man can kill an army of ten million. And he has sovereign, omnipotent, omniscient power to boot. So number four is that we ought to breathe his victory in this season. When you feel discouraged, when you feel lonely, if you get sick, if some relationship isn't working out, and you see all the world coming apart at the seams, just look to the Lord. And just tell yourself he's the Lord of the rulers of the earth. He's the ruler of the kings of the earth. He's going to win. I'm his. There will be victory. There will be glory. We'll shine like that sun in the kingdom of my father. I don't care how bad it is now. Just establish yourself with this great expectation. One more. Number five. The reign of Christ over the rulers of the earth today means... That Christ is ordering the world for the good of the church. For the good of the church. This is breathtaking. This is awesome. This is amazing. When you, do you, do you watch the news this way? When they're showing the bombs dropping or the explosions of the motorcades or governments tumbling, do you say, look at God? What is he doing for the church? Now, let me give you the text where I see that written so plainly. Ephesians 1.22 says, God made him head over all things for the church. God made him head over all things for For the church, little Mary in Nazareth, an empire moves for Mary. Little you, little you, tucked away in your neighborhood in Minneapolis, and empires today are moving for your holiness and your happiness. Do not miss God's work for the church. He has global purposes for the expansion of his kingdom. He has little individual purposes in your life for what's happening in the world. And you should be praying, open my eyes, God. Let me see what you are doing for my sake, for my glory, for my purification, for my holy happiness, for my guidance in ministry. What does this mean for my life in America, what you're doing all over the world? That's the kind of question you should be asking because God Almighty looks at you with love And as though you were the only person on the face of the earth, knowing the number of hairs on your head, and he moves nations for you. You must not miss the profit and the joy and the encouragement there is in that. It's right here in our text. This is the last look that we'll have. Revelation 1-4. Grace to you and peace... You see that grace and peace from Jesus Christ, the ruler of the kings of the earth. That simply says the grace and the peace that comes to my people comes from my son ruling over the world. Grace and peace to you through Jesus Christ. Now back to China.
when I was in uh, Manila at Lausanne too, I, I heard Chinese with tears in their eyes tell about the heartache of Tiananmen Square. And uh, nevertheless, here's what one of them speaking for the group said. He said, this was in the wisdom and love of God. The church was not ready for liberty. The church needs to be purified still further. Now, I didn't say that, and I don't have biblical authority for that being the reason, but that's what the Chinese delegation to Lausanne said. Their interpretation of the sovereign hand of God was. I think it best if we often just stand back and say how inscrutable are his ways and unsearchable his judgments, but he is moving the world for the sake of his bride, the church. So in summary, Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth means he controls who becomes a king. He regulates what the kings do, restraining and organizing He has authority to claim citizens from all kingdoms for his kingdom. He will triumph, and he does it all for the good of the church. Therefore, grace to you and peace from him who is, who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before the throne of God, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, and the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings on the earth. Grace to you and peace. Let's stand for closing prayer.